Welcome to the Sociology Talk podcast. On this episode, I will be speaking to Anna Pena, who is a service coordinator for the Kern Regional Center. I hope you enjoy. All right, welcome to a new episode. And here we have Anna Pena, and she is a service coordinator for the Kern Regional Center. Um, uh, we know each other because we actually graduated the same year in the same program in sociology at CSU Bakersfield. Uh, we were both doing or producing, you know, qualitative research. And so it did take us quite a bit of time, but we were able to walk on stage together and enjoy that moment. And so, yeah, happy to have you here. And thank you for joining us. Um, I wanted to, you know, let you take the floor and um, just, you know, introduce yourself and who you are what, and um, what, what really started this whole thing, your whole path to sociology. Well, first, I just wanted to say thank you for having me on your podcast. I'm excited for um, students and uh, other individuals to just explore options and where sociology can take you. Mm-hmm. Uh, like Andres said, uh, my name is Anna Pena. Uh, I do work with the Kern Regional Center as a service coordinator. And um, I feel like as an undergraduate, I didn't have an idea or well, I guess I did have a career in mind. So I actually started as an engineering major um, of all things. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, halfway into calculus two, calculus three, I noticed that I was putting in quite a bit of effort Mm -hmm. to, you know, produce average grades. (laughs) And I noticed there were other students who it just came so easy to them, right? They perhaps didn't study as much as I did, but I would see them like, just browse through the book, you know, come into class, browse through the book and, um, you know, earn their A's, right? Mm-hmm. And that's that's what I wanted for myself. I wanted to find a subject that I understood that came easy to me that, you know, um, that I was passionate about and Uh, I think this was into my second year as a a sophomore uh, undergrad that I was taking philosophy, psychology, and sociology all in one one quarter. And I happened to really enjoy all three classes. I particularly enjoyed psychology and sociology. Mm -hmm. Um, And psychology was a bit tricky at that time because only certain classes were out and you had to take them in almost sequential order. And not to say that that's the reason why I I went into sociology. Um, I actually wanted a double major, but it was just going to be difficult. And I I truly enjoyed sociology, um, you know, the intro class. So I thought, you know what, this is what I'm gonna do. And it came easy to me, I understood it. Um, and it made sense and, and it made the world make sense, mm-hmm. um, right? Because you grow up uh, in your adolescence and into high school, like wondering why things work a certain way. And I didn't know that those things had names, right? Concepts. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And when you take the class and you go over these concepts, you're like, that's what it's called. Or this <laughs> is this is real. I, I'm not crazy, right? I see yeah. these things. So it's really, it's really amazing how those things start to click. Um, and I fell in love with it. So I ended up, um, I ended up 
graduating with my degree in sociology, both my bachelor's and my master's. I did minor in psychology because I did still enjoy it. Um, and that's what led me to sociology, my failure of engineering. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I mean, in, in all actuality, I, I, I truly enjoyed it and I fell in love with it and I'm happy that I, it came across and not to think like, no, I don't see myself as failing in engineering, but um, I found something that made more sense to me, right? I mean, if I had put my mind to another degree, I would have done that too, right? Mm -hmm. But sociology was just something that made the world, um, made me understand the world. Yeah. So that's what brought me to sociology. Yeah. And I think, you know, that's a lot of people's experiences where um, they come in and they say, wow, that totally makes sense. That may, that's, I have that experience. So that helps me understand somebody else's experiences and those things have con or those concepts, those things have names to them. Yeah. And so, yeah, it's really cool. And I feel like I'm the same way. It's just, uh, we all have already become experts in sociology because it's our lived experiences. And yeah. it's just a matter of putting terms or concepts yeah. to these things, yeah. you know, the social phenomena. And so, yeah, that's really, that's really cool. And you mentioned that uh, sociology was just something that you were passionate about. You just felt like you identified with it better. Or, um, I think also it could be that, uh, and maybe, you know, I'm mistaken, but calculus doesn't seem very entertaining. Uh, you know, reading that and, you know, the textbooks and these exercises, sociology, and at least in my opinion, I don't know what you yeah. your opinion, uh, it's just so much more entertaining. You know, the texts were amazing. I just love absolutely. It. And I remember just thinking, like, I wish I could just get paid to do this. Like, just read these books all the time. Yeah. And I do that <laughs> now. You know, I, I get paid to do that now. I'm like, I wish I could get paid more for this. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but that would be a nice world, right? Yeah. You know what? The the world of calculus is very abstract, and it takes a different type of mind to really make those abstract ideas concrete which is uh, difficult, right? Because some people are just built to understand those abstract ideas and theories. Um, and in sociology is just, like you said, it's a lived experience. Like, you know these things because you've either experienced experience them firsthand or you've witnessed them mm -hmm. and you can see it happening in real life. So you have something concrete to it, to attach to it, right? You have yeah. those like yeah. memories and experiences. So um, yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. And so just kind of fast forward to, you know, you graduated um, with your bachelor's degree mm -hmm. um, and then you went into the master's program in sociology. I'm actually curious how you found out about the master's program and why did you decide to go, go into it or enroll into a master's program? Oh, goodness. Okay. So when I decided to major in sociology, I had no career end in mind. Mm -hmm. I just thought this is what I love wherever it takes me. Right. That's yeah. where I'm yeah. going to go. I'm going to, you know, let it kind of like a very free spirited in regards to the career career aspect of it, wherever this degree takes me, I'm going to enjoy it because sociology is going to be applied in some, you know, manner. Yeah. So when I was completing my undergrad degree, I actually didn't have in mind or I didn't have plan to do a master's, 
Um, I think it was just with the encouragement and support of my advisor that mm -hmm. led me there. And um, uh, I'm trying to remember this correctly. I'm trying to remember who my advisor was. <laughs> uh, because like over, over all of the courses that you take in your undergrad and graduate, like everybody becomes, everybody in the faculty becomes your advisor, right? You have this really close-knit relationship mm -hmm. with the faculty because you're taking everyone's courses, right? Yeah. And um, so I can't specifically recall because, you know, everyone served as a mentor to me mm -hmm. in at, at the at CCP faculty. Um, but it was Dr. Santos who encouraged me to apply to the master's program. And I thought, well, okay, you know, it doesn't hurt. And I, I went straight into it. It didn't take a break or anything. And I felt, well, I have this momentum, right, for my undergrad. I'm going to go straight into it. And I did. And I had some time to think about what track I wanted to do. And naturally, I wanted to do the, what I felt was the most difficult track was the master's thesis. Mm. So... I guess in this time where I thought, where I had the encouragement of faculty telling me like, you, you know, you could do this. Um, you're doing really well in your courses and it, I think this would be a great step for you. And then I started to think about a PhD program. Hmm. So I got involved with um, several scholarships. So it was the McNair's um, scholarship and the Sally Casanova scholarship which both encouraged um, students to do their PhD. Mm -hmm. And I thought, okay, so if I'm gonna do my PhD, let's do the thesis track and I'll have some practice, you know, writing in my dissertation. So I did that route. And I guess it was, it really it was my mentors advising me as best they could to, to take the master's out. And I'm absolutely grateful that they did because it, it really makes me wonder, you know, I, I guess I don't know how to put it into words, but like I hadn't realized my potential. Mm -hmm. um, and of course my PhD is never out of sight. I had put it, I had decided not to right after my master's program to go into a PhD uh, program, but I put it on hold and I haven't taken it off my list. So maybe one day I'll do it. Awesome. So, yeah. Yeah, I really hope you do, because uh, <laughs> yeah, you helped me out in so many ways to through graduate school, and uh, yeah, for all those listening to the podcast, we were like, you know, we worked together in a lot of stuff. We mm -hmm. did classes together, and yeah. um, you know, you you um, allowed me to kind of overlook your thesis to kind of see what the structure looked like. That really mm -hmm. helped me out, and so yeah, and your study was amazing, and so yeah. It, I'm glad you went into the master program because uh, you really helped me out too. You know, became really good friends. Yeah. Um, and I think that the I had the similar experience at uh, CSU Bakersfield with the faculty there, is mm -hmm. that they have this really close relationship and you know therefore mentors that are working closely with you. And that mm -hmm. was something I didn't really experience in any other kind of kind of major or institution. Um, so for example, I was a liberal studies major. And so I had teachers from different disciplines, right? So there's like the mm -hmm. hard sciences, there's English and art teachers. There wasn't really like a set group of individuals oh, that I can work closely with, you know? And so, mm -hmm. I mean, the advisors were awesome. They did a really good, uh, great job. Um, but, you know, it wasn't until I got into sociology where 
I just felt that close relationship to my faculty members. And at first it was just kind of strange because I was like, you know, I had always been so used to this, this really, you know, <laughs> solid um, separation of the relationship, you know, your student and your faculty mm -hmm. member and that's it. But, you know, what I had experienced is that they were willing to help you out in so many ways, you know, and um, the people on my committee, you know, Dr. Dugan, Dr. Armentor, uh, I actually had a member in psychology, Dr. Dr. Annie Duran. On How wonderful. I had a psychology uh, faculty mm -hmm. on my, on my committee as well. Yeah, for sure. And um, they did so much for me, you know, they made sure I was ready to go into my uh, thesis defense and that I was prepared. They weren't setting me up for failure and um, they always had their doors open. You know, anytime I was up in the DDH building um, mm -hmm. in Bakersfield campus um, and I would walk down there, I can easily just access a faculty member, you know, yeah. they're so willing to help you, you know, and so that's, that's, you know, I had, I had, I share that experience with you. And I think that um, yeah. that really motivated me to continue um, just knowing that I had somebody there, you know. Uh, that can really walk me through this you but also you know the faculty <laughs> members there on campus and so um yeah that's really awesome and so you know you you graduated your master's degree in sociology um mm -hmm. and you're currently employed with the uh Kern Regional Center can you tell me a little bit about your job what it's like to be uh working in your position and what your responsibilities are I guess yeah, so as a service coordinator, and as the title states exactly, I coordinate services, you know, the, the most simplest way I can put it. Um, so what the Kern Regional Center does is um, under one house, pretty much, assist individuals with disabilities, um, find and locate the services they need to become independent um, uh, independent individuals, right? Be a part of society and to contribute to society. Mm -hmm. So it could be anything from services like um, intervention, uh, early intervention programs from a very young age into um, behavior intervention um, to uh, independent living services once you get into adulthood, um, navigating, you know, a support system, uh, figuring out uh, how to get employment, what type of services are available that help individuals with disabilities, um, uh, just this huge array of services, right? So it's uh, my job to um, help provide a program plan for each client Mm -hmm. and figure out what type of services they need, right? Depending on, you know, and each client is gonna be different, but their needs uh, vary, of course, from person to person. And we do an annual meeting where we go over, you know, what their needs are and, and we kind of figure out a plan for them and what would best help them, you know, to become independent, to move forward, to live a happy life. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's a really, um important job, you know, you serve, um, you know, a population that has needs and, um, you know, you help them to put them in positions to succeed. And so, yeah, absolutely. yeah and I think that's really important. Um, 
and I feel like, I guess in my opinion, do you feel like it's, uh, I think it would feel like it would be very rewarding. Can you tell me about a little bit about how, um, some of the rewards, I guess, and then also some yeah. of the Okay, so um, let's see. I'll start with the challenges. As far as like the type of job or the work, the day-to-day work that I do, um, it's not difficult. It's rather uh, doable. Of course, the the load of work can be heavier at times because we're talking about um, a really big population and a small number of service coordinators to you know, assist families. So uh, a lot of the regional centers are trying really hard to hire service coordinators so that each uh, service coordinator has, has a smaller caseload so we can better serve you know, our families. Um, so, so I guess the, the challenging part would be sometimes the workload in, reg- in that regards, and you know, it can fluctuate anywhere between seventy to eighty plus clients mm. for one service coordinator. Wow, mm-hmm. and that could be challenging. as just having to, um, you know, s- spread yourself to where you can still meet the needs of all of your families. But if, again, like I mentioned, that can fluctuate. Um, the regional center has been, especially the one here in, in Kern County has been doing a, a wonderful job about uh, hiring more service coordinators as of recent okay. and uh, to help bring that caseload down so that each coordinator you know, has a, a handle on their caseload and can mm-hmm. really closely serve each of their families, uh, each of the clients. Um, but as far as like the type of work that I do, absolutely, it's doable. It's um, a lot of organization, which I feel um, you definitely learn as an undergrad and graduate in you know, juggling your work, if you do work, juggling your courses, juggling life, juggling everything. Yeah. Um, and then the most rewarding part, of course, is providing those services to your families. Um, Once you find that right service that they've been waiting for or looking for or didn't know about and you tell them about it, um, I think is is the most rewarding part, Mm -hmm. right? Because you're helping them achieve a little bit more independence. You're helping them achieve um, a sense of, normalcy in their life Mm. right there's um or with clients that are younger helping their parents find a support system you're helping um provide a network for them you know Mm. you're getting them in touch with all of these different um vendors that are essentially going to help them you know with an, an aspect of you know their child's life or you know the adult's life so it's it has it definitely has its its rewards right like you mentioned before it's assisting a population that is often overlooked mm-hmm. and often underserved yeah um, and I think a, a lot more can be done of course but you know baby steps um I think it's it's I don't know, it's a really vital part of of an individual's life, right? Because yeah. you think about the struggles that somebody with 
with a disability or multiple disabilities has to go through to navigate their day-to-day -day and figuring out, right? Sometimes we don't even, um, sometimes we can't even function, especially with, with the pandemic right now, right? It's, it's mm -hmm. difficult to find the right services mm -hmm. um, or even just like regular things like health insurance, right? Like how, how do you do that? Um, so it's mm -hmm. little things that I feel like I'm rambling, but no, yeah. Wording. <laughs> yeah. How do you, how do you, I, I know you're, you, were you hired during the pandemic? So it's kind of like yeah. all you know at this point about the job. Can you tell me a little bit about how, I guess COVID interferes with the, what the organization is trying to do? Yeah. So um, I am relatively new to the regional center. I, I've been with them calculating <laughs> a little over uh, nearly four months now. Okay. Um, but I'm very familiar with the regional center prior to me being a service coordinator. So I used to um, graduating right out of my master's program. I worked in the sector that vendors with regional centers. So I did early intervention uh, services in the home directly with clients. I did um, applied behavior analysis with, um, with kids as well and their families working directly in the home. And then I also worked as a behavior specialist with a facility that provided services for Kern Regional Center clients. So I'm, um, I was always very um, aware of what the regional centers did and I worked very closely with regional centers because as a vendor or, you know, being on the other end of it, yeah, you directly provide that service to the family. Um, current or, you know, any regional center will coordinate with a vendor and say like, hey, I have this client. Can you serve them? Can you provide this service for them? Say, absolutely. Let's get that started. So I used to work directly with families. And then that's how I kind of came across the regional center. Um, and... I wanted to do the other side of it, right? I've come full circle where I used to provide the services uh, to families and now I'm on the other side of the table where when we meet you know, with families and we go over annual meetings to look at the progress of clients um, with the vendors because it's a team, right? It's, uh, the whole team is there. Those who provide the services and those who help coordinate the services with the families. So now I'm on the other side of the table and, and I've done this whole you know 360 and mm. now I get to do the other part of it is coordinate yeah. the services which is um is it, it's different I, and I'm learning that it's different and so I've been familiar with what they do and I'm now learning all of the little nuances that you know you don't get to see but it's definitely like um I guess I, I can't say it in another way, but you know, you're kind of, um, what is the, the orchestra <clears throat> person that's in charge? Oh, conductor? Yes. So it's kind of like that, like now I get to see like everything behind the scenes, like everything that happens, like as a vendor, you think, okay, I just need the regional center to do this, put in, <laughs> you know, the service, but now I'm on the other side and like, there's yeah. a lot happening, but, and, and they're not just coordinating that for that one family. It's, you know, 70 Mm -hmm. you know, different clients, sometimes more. So um, I'm starting to learn more. So at this point, I'm learning, I'm, I'm 
learning the different type of services that families can access. So I have a lot to learn in that regard, right? Because I don't know absolutely every single service that is available in, uh, in Bakersfield or you know the surrounding area. So that's where I'm I'm learning. Okay, cool. And that's awesome that your organization, your agency, tries to um, hire more people so that it's not as overwhelming. Because I know a lot of people in um, have a lot of case studies or case loads that they have to work with. And it, you know, it just can seem overwhelming and it's hard to serve a population when you're having to manage so many families, you know? And so I think that's, um, you know, you had mentioned that that was a challenge, right? Um, and so yes. I think that's, you know, them being aware of that is so, is great, you know, cause I think that can really relieve a lot of pressure on, you know, people that have to manage those and the amount of families that yeah. they have to manage. It, unfortunately, I mean, it really does have a lot to do with funding. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So there have been, you know, service coordinators that have been with the regional center for, for many years who have gone through those influx of clients where they've, I've heard it's gone up to upwards in the high 80s. Um, there are other regional centers that, uh, are much higher than that. So if you think mm -hmm. about regional centers and other populations like Los Angeles, which is split mm -hmm. up into yeah. uh, multiple regional centers as well. Um, I can't imagine what their caseloads are. I still have to familiarize myself with some of the other regional centers, but it can, it's a lot. And mm -hmm. um, I think it's one of those things like we, we don't really think about it unless you're in that, you know, sector. Mm -hmm. But it can get overwhelming and then I'm just starting so I can only speak for my short time there but I've, I've heard it through working as a, a vendor to and providing services right. Mm -hmm. uh, service coordinator sometimes have a difficult time just responding to vendors sometimes um, they are late to certain meetings because you know there's there's a backup of you yeah, know that yeah. when they go out into the community and this is touching on the question that you asked you about how the pandemic has affected it so normally a service coordinator will do an annual meeting in the home so i have my clients uh, luckily it's it's organized in a way where you have a total number of clients for each like birth month right so maybe you have six to eight clients January, February, March, right? And you're going to see those six to eight clients that month to do the annual review, um, review their health, their um, self-care skills, their medical. You just kind of do like a, a overview of how they've been doing, pretty much an update, and then see where their needs are uh, based on a, you know, year-to-year -year basis. And while those meetings should take place in person. So you can kind of assess how they're doing. You can ask them questions, mm -hmm. you, you um, check in on them, you're face-to-face, -face, right? And you build that rapport, you build that relationship with your families. Mm -hmm. um, that's no longer the case right now. We're doing everything through either phone calls or video calls if the families mm -hmm. have access to that. So we're, we're talking about an underserved population, right? So if you take into account um, their background, right? Different demographics, their age, their ethnicity, their 
income, um, socioeconomic status, all of that. Um, it makes it difficult to sometimes even hold a, a conversation with them. It's difficult to even just have a phone call because they could be working, uh, both parents are working or if they're in a, a working adult, um, you know, finding a time that works best for everybody mm -hmm. uh, can be difficult. So most of them, most of my meetings have been either video call if the family uh, has the capabilities, right? If they have internet, they have Wi-Fi, or if they have a smartphone, if they know how, if they're younger and they can, you know, manage the technology if they're older, mm -hmm. sometimes it's just a phone call, right? Checking in and that's done on a yearly basis. So it's changed in that sense. Um, during the pandemic, we've been doing um, monthly check-ins to see how the family's doing, if anybody's been affected by uh, COVID-19, mm. right? if they've been exposed to it. Um, so really uh, service coordinators are in um, overdrive right now, checking in with families mm -hmm. to make sure everyone's okay. And um, that's on top of the, the typical day-to-day -day work that they do, which is would be the, the meetings and you know, finding services for their family. So there's yeah, been yeah. a little bit of an extra, a little bit of extra work to, you know, ensure that the families or, or, you know, clients are doing well and they have everything they need, especially right now where, you know, those needs have changed. Um, it's not just a typical type of service because a lot of the services that they did once receive, let's say if they did, you know, in-home uh, support, they have somebody coming in to help them with their daily living skills because it's not it's something that maybe they're unable to do due to their disability. Mm -hmm. That person can no longer come or has to, you know everybody has to gear up with their PPE or they're no longer providing those services and now it's like telehealth where those vendors are now providing the service through you know Zoom checking in or providing you know. Uh, any type, so it's it's been completely different, and everyone is doing their best to navigate it. Yeah, <laughs> just like the rest of us are, right? Uh, just like students are, just how we are working from home, um, you know. And it's it's changed it a lot, and I'm excited to you know once everything opens up to meet my families because a lot of them I've only met over the phone. Right. <laughs> Um, some have been uh, fortunate enough to meet via, at least via Zoom, you know, or via some sort of a video call. Yeah. So it's, it really takes away from that rapport, from that mm. interpersonal skills, right? You don't get to meet them in person. You don't really get to develop that relationship yet. But, you know, just like every other sector, we're trying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. Everybody's trying to manage. And yeah, so I, I, that definitely seems like it could be challenging um, not being able to have that personal relationship with them and to develop that rapport, as you mentioned, that trust with them. Um, yeah, it seems like that could be very difficult. And so hoping uh, things <laughs> become normal soon, uh, sooner than later, at least. Mm -hmm. and so I had a question about, um, you know, your current occupation how did sociology um, give you some kind of um, advantage to what you do? Or was there something that you did and 
you're like, oh, that's, you know, sociology really helped me out with that. Yeah, I think, I think just not to, well, I guess yes to, you know, to sociology's horn, but mm-hmm. just understanding different populations, uh, knowing there are different groups and how they're affected and how they work helps me to understand the needs of my clients. Mm -hmm. So like I mentioned before, all of my clients fall in different demographics, right? They're all under a general umbrella of um, individuals with disabilities, Mm -hmm. but I don't want to make that a big monolithic thing, right? Each individual is very different. Um, the disability that they have are all very different. Even if they have similar disabilities, each individual is different, right? We're all unique. And understanding different concepts learned uh, through my undergrad and graduate studies helps me to understand like the difficulties they've gone through. I mean, not lived experiences, right? Because I don't know what it's like to have uh, the disabilities that some of my clients have. Mm -hmm. But it helps me to understand like they're overcoming different hurdles Mm -hmm. um, that um, the general population takes for granted. And it comes at a price right, for them to find certain things, it's, um, and in in order for individuals with disabilities to navigate, right, they, how else can I put it, it's, helps me to understand where they are, where they've come from, and how to, well, at least to the best of my ability, help them to overcome specific hurdles that, you know, that are there, Mm -hmm. and, me being able to find the services, right? Collect all of the information that they might not be able to collect themselves and present it to them and let them decide like, you know, here are these options for you that can help you with your day-to-day activities or with, you know, finding a job. Mm-hmm. Um, here's what I have found for you. You tell me now, what what would you like? What, help, what would help you? Um, what would make you most happy? What would help you find that independence? What would, you know, bring you peace of mind? What would give you, you know, that that extra support? And then they tell me, right? They tell me like, hey, I like this one. All right, let's do it. You know, and then, you know, we, I go through my process of, you know, getting everything done, all of the paperwork, all of the referrals, yeah, um, the menial stuff, but I forgot what the question was. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's okay. No, that you answered it. So how did the sociology help you with your occupation? And then you just mentioned that, um, at least from what I understand, it was the idea that you know that there's these different social factors that um, affect somebody, right? Yeah, and that, yes, absolutely. Yeah, and that you're able to then identify certain barriers that... Um, they face and then you are able to provide those services those resources to them so that's awesome yeah i think that's a great 
um, I think that's a huge advantage. Um, Absolutely. Being aware of those things. Yeah. yeah. I can imagine like, you know, every, every coordinator is going to do the best that they can to provide services, but just understanding small things like the culture, right? Every culture functions differently. And right, we, if you talk about one culture, which is uh, values individualism, like Western culture does, uh, versus other cultures that value uh, community and family, right? Those little things, like when I come into, I guess not, not right now, not come into a home right now, but like when I come into a meeting and I'm speaking to the family, those are the things that I have to consider, right? Um, what type of, you know, what type of um, values are being expressed by the family? Mm. I guess not being expressed, but like me just understanding like where they come from, right? Like, mm. is this a household where typically the male will represent the family? Is this mm. a, a um, a family where they're really going to push their child to be individual and have them be independent? Or is it a family that where they value culture and the family is going to be the support system and they're not necessarily prioritizing independent living because the family is going to be there to support them, right? Mm -hmm. So it's just very small things um, I find myself picking up. Mm -hmm. um, like like that, right? Where it's somebody who didn't study sociology might not see how how that would affect um, an interaction, yeah. right? Me mm -hmm. figuring out the needs of the family. Um, it's just small things. It's just a small example of, you know, something that, uh, something where sociology comes into play or my background in sociology helps me to understand. Uh, or being, you know, respectful of the male figure or being respectful of the whole family or being respectful of the client themselves, right? Speaking to the client directly as opposed to perhaps the parents or, you know, just these small, very small nuances that you wouldn't think otherwise, but yeah, um, you use them to, as a way to connect with the families too. Like if they they say, oh, she really does understand uh, or value or respect the way we do things, right? It, it, anything to make the family feel as most comfortable as they can. Yeah. Um, or even if they don't need much assistance at all and be like, you know, we got this, just uh, we'll do our annual check-ins and, you know, we'll figure it out. And there's some families who are like that too, right? And I have to respect their boundaries as well. It's right. just, those, you know, a, a really your background in sociology is going to take you so far, not just in this the, you know, the type of work that I do, um, but in any um, institution, if you go into an institution or if you go into, a, um, I guess, any type of sector, right, you're going to understand because we're humans and we all build social interactions mm -hmm. and it's going to help you regardless, right? It's going to help you to understand everything, even if it's just day to day, like you, the way you interact with your coworkers, maybe at, you know, a store, you know, it's, mm -hmm really helps you to understand everything and it's it's cool yeah no that is really interesting that um you know you're able to be aware of those nuances of the family and structure of the family and you know how 
um, they carry out their their day-to-day routines and their, yeah. their behaviors. And so, yeah, that's really interesting. And I think that's a, that's a huge advantage to what you do. Um, and so for anybody that, anyone that's interested in doing what you do, um, is there any advice that you would give them besides don't get hired during the pandemic? <laughs> <laughs> um, I think one of, I don't know, I guess the workload was always one, something that I I, I guess can be a deterrent, mm-hmm. but I would say if it's something that you would enjoy doing, right? Because there's a lot of individuals who are students who go into sociology because it's going to take them to social work or get their undergrad as, you know, in sociology and get into the social work program. Mm-hmm. Um, this is very much social work related. You're working with families, right? And you're <clears throat> helping them navigate um different services so i would say don't let the workload deter you from it something that you would enjoy it's something you're going to enjoy and you're not even going to notice the workload a lot of the days you know days go by super fast when you're you know a busy bee um i'd say i had something else on the top of my head and i had completely slipped away (laughs) yeah no the that's really good that, um, you know, just being aware, just make sure that you're passionate about it because if you're not passionate about it and you're just like, ah, this is okay for now, it's just a job, um, the workload then might may deter, deter you, right? And then um, also being aware that you are, you know, working with families uh, who have individual needs and that can be challenging, you know, because everybody's gonna have something different. And yeah. so that's gonna increase the workload Mm-hmm. But uh, as you mentioned, there are certain benefits, right? That, you know, you, you provide this resource or maybe somebody didn't know that they get those resources. Mm-hmm. So you point that out to them and then they're like, oh, I didn't know that that was available to me. And so then you're able to, um, you know, just give somebody something yeah. that they didn't know that they had, the support that they didn't know that they had. And so, yeah, I think that's awesome as well. Yeah, the rewards really do outweigh you know, the sh- short bursts of, you know, increased work, but what job doesn't have, you know, their own particular, you know, um, difficulties and challenges, right? We all go through periods of an excess workload, but we all manage as best we can, mm-hmm. um, especially, I you know, during the pandemic, right? Everyone's had to learn how to navigate Zoom, navigate technology, <clears throat> and um, uh, absolutely, it's, it's been a rewarding short few months to start and I'm excited to, you know, finally meet some families, meet my family. Yeah, yeah. that's awesome. I hope that happens soon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, for everybody. Um, Anna, thank you so much for coming out to this podcast. Really enjoyed your story and hearing about hearing about what you do and hopefully that helps some, some people that tune into this podcast and you know, maybe you'll, they'll work beside <laughs> you, but hey, I got, I wanted yeah. this because I heard your podcast. <laughs> yeah. podcast. So, Thank uh, you for having me. I really appreciate it. You got it anytime. And, um, you know, always welcome back. <laughs> yes. We can talk more about uh, thesis, thesis and graduate related 
topics. Yeah, research and all that, all that fun stuff, huh? Oh, yes, I miss it so much. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, so thanks, and uh, we'll talk soon, huh? All right, that sounds good. Thank you for listening to the Sociology Talk podcast. Make sure to check out other episodes for more stories about the lives of sociologists.